0: We're never ready, we're simply prepared to a certain extent. That also seems like a HASS team motto. Prepared to a certain extent. Has. We might make it to the end of this one.
1: Hello and welcome to the Undercut podcast. I'm your host Ellie Mae Taylor. We're back to review... Preview, sorry, this weekend's Austrian Grand Prix. Joining me as ever, I have the soft bed linen to my Eiderdown pillow. I don't know what Eiderdown is. Ida Ida, Dab- Ida down,
0: yeah, Ida like Dab- a, down from an Ida duck. It's really soft and very sort of squishy.
1: We don't promote animal abuse on this podcast, but we'll carry on. Jesse Billington and the itchy sleeping bag to my warm blanket, Timo Albers daily. How are you both?
0: I think okay, i weirdly right. got out of that one better yeah <laughs> i well, no, she's the idol down pillow so i mean i'm not the one that is made out of animal yeah products. but she's
2: accused <laughs> you of animal cruelty straight off the bat where i'm just simply sleeping bags so i think i'm getting away with
0: this <sighs> a little bit better yeah I probably should have proofread that one when i wrote it this morning oh uh, yeah and it, uh, all that besides i'm doing all right um we can fix this in the edit perhaps i'll just give it an entirely new introduction of my own making um yeah, fine. Ready to look ahead to the Austrian. Country. We've already gone so far off track. Timo, how are you?
2: Oh, I'm. I'm much better now. But I'm suddenly feeling cheered up.
0: Uh, um, any personal news from across the weekend from the two of you that you want to just sort of try and steer this ship back onto course with, or?
2: in Portland was jolly good fun. 400 overtakes plus and seven wide coming down the start, finish straight and actually on an actual track track as opposed to a street circuit. So it was all rather refreshing, even if it was on at 1am because it was in Portland, which nice place, but uh, awkward for a time difference for a change. But at least it was on Channel 4 Live for once instead of on YouTube. They
0: could fit it onto Channel 4 Live because there's nothing there's on nothing the on at 1am yeah they can they can pump the <laughs> scheduling i suppose yeah because it's a circuit. i got kind of to take the wind to where i can with them it's weird that they've relegated to youtube quite as much as they have, have but yeah it's a separate thing and because indycar use the circuit as well they were getting pretty close to the indycar mm-hmm. top speeds but it still looks dog shit on the tv it still looks slow and slovenly and equally yeah, was- but the racing
2: is really good and when you see them all 22 of them coming to 21 if we don't count down the ticket 20 one of them coming down the start finish straight all kind of pretty bunched up together still nice close racing it's what you want from a single seat to motorsport cough hint hint formula one cough hint hint cough um so it's it was very enjoyable
0: it's a very good season so far yeah um i did have something else to follow up that i've completely forgotten what it was now um
2: Oh, oh yeah, well, that was learned.
0: it. It's it, it it was full of a weird crime this week as well, wasn't it? There was the um weird yes. RFID yes. tag reader that one team had snuck into pit entry so they could see what tires other teams were running and sort out like pit strategy and clear air strategy, which is which was of denied
2: by the drivers and kind of but then you're like, Well yes or no, but also you're caught, so you must have done something. So maybe just I mean, you got in the points anyway,
0: so I feel like it didn't really
2: impact them too much.
0: Yeah. And did they have like plausible deniability? Like, would they be like, no, that's not something we did, as in it's something they had no no prior knowledge of. So I don't know. It's it's a weird one. It's Formula E being Formula E in its own weird little way. Um, We'll move on. I was doing what I could just to get you out of the hole that you put yourself in at the top
2: of the podcast that everyone hasn't forgotten about.
0: Yeah, but what you've done there is you've just taken everything and just pushed (laughs) it straight back into that hole by mentioning it. The trick is when you do something like sort of build your way out of the hole slowly is to then simply not mention the hole. I'm still learning this whole podcasting, Malak. Yeah, I guess I'm not there yet. Yeah it's plain to see. We'll move on to what the hell has happened. And we'll start with some news that Alpine is flush with cash. A 200 million euro investment from the investor group comprised of Otro Capital, Redbird Capital Partners, and Maximum Effort Investments have acquired a 24% stake in the French outfit. Alpine now says this has valued their company at 900 million euros, I believe it's the last of those listed companies' maximum effort investments that belongs to the Deadpool star Ryan Reynolds. In an online statement, the company says maximum effort makes movies, TV series, content and cocktails for the personal amusement of Hollywood star Ryan Reynolds, which is... A very Ryan Reynolds way of putting things in its entirety. Um, it's the same overarching group that's worked with the Dallas Cowboys, the NFL, Toulouse FC, and notably Wrexham FC. This influx of cash is crucial for reinvesting in the team and accelerating their mountain climber plan, which sees them aim to catch the top teams in the terms of in terms of the sort of state of the art facilities and equipment. And they hope that success will follow. It's worth noting that this sort of buy out all this sort of 24% stake only focuses on the F1 Alpine outfit and has nothing to do with the Renault engine division which is in Very and is owned entirely by the Renault group and it's this Renault group in which the French state owns a 15% share so unfortunately there's no fun way of equating Deadpool to Republic Francais but hey it's still interesting
1: I can't remember what we were talking about the other day Jesse but we were li- oh no I can't remember yeah We were literally saying the other day how Ryan Reynolds or like a rich Canadian or American should come into F1. But I think it was to invest in our podcast. I think he's kind of gone one step further and decided to have an actual stake in an F1 team. I've kind of used my powers again, but haven't quite got full control of them yet.
0: Yeah, I definitely recall you mentioning we ought to have like a sort of sugar daddy for the podcast so we can afford microphones and soundboards and something that's not Zoom to record on. And you sort of triggered that with some sort of premonition, but you weren't quite specific enough with how you aimed it. You just went money into formula one but sort of missed the podcast bit and specifically us but hey we roll with what we've got
2: well, going off that though if we're going to channel early powers a bit more specifically why not get will arnett to fund us because his podcast didn't exactly go to us so maybe he funds us we can bring him on as a guest occasion because he can then bring danny rick with him
0: and we can kind of get in that way oh this was his goggle box f1 thing wasn't it he did it with danny rick through the canadian grand prix did mm. i didn't watch that did it go down well
2: I don't know if anyone watched it, but it seemed like Daniel had a good time, so I think that's what that
0: matters at the end of the day. As long as Daniel is happy. We'll touch on Daniel a bit later, but first there's some news coming out of Audi.
1: Yes, an Audi, and oh, this podcast is going terribly.
0: We've got it off to a stronger start, it's fine, Just power <laughs> on through, It'll get. once we get up to temperature it'll be fine.
1: Right, we'll start again. Audi announced Swiss racing driver Neil Yani as their simulator driver as they take a step towards producing power units for F1 come the 2026 revolution. Yani has previously been a test and reserve driver for Red Bull and he won the 2016 WEC season with Porsche as well as that year's 24 Hours of Le Mans. So he's a decent driver and the sensible head you want on your sim. And he already has a previous relationship with Andreas Seidel, as Seidel was the LMP1 Porsche boss at the same time Yanni was racing for the team. Since the end of 2020, Audi have been working away on a single-cylinder testbed and, at the moment, are mainly focused on a fundamental concept, quest- concept questions with high relevance to performance, which suggests that this is going to be technical... I can't speak... <laughs> which suggests that this is going to be technologically audi would technology audi will develop for F1 i will get there but, but would look but we're looking to possibly utilize in other series or even hypercars on the road think mercedes project one or aston martin valkyrie projects Audi are on track to have full 1.6 liter turbo hybrid systems up and running on their dyno before the year is out, and crucially, as they aren't inside the sport, they are able to work without a cost cap and can spend as much money as possible developing a powertrain ahead of time with no financial hindrance. This eagerness and intent, intent that Audi are going to have built up when they take over the Sauber team in 2026 is going to ultimately have some allure for drivers looking, for the, looking to the team looking to the future in the sport and it appears Seidel looks to use the contacts he's already made to build a team around him. Is it becoming more and more likely that he will either have Carlos Sainz or Lando Norris in his team?
0: Lando Norris is definitely one that's been sort of hot-shoed for this Audi, sort of Audi-Salber team in the future. I think there's a lot of hype for him and Seidel coming back together and I think there's definitely something worth thinking about there he's had a decent run with mclaren but it's certainly not gotten any better over time so if he was wise he'd be looking to move elsewhere and again what audi have done with obviously bringing in a season test and reserve driver someone they know they can rely on or they've been working with their engines they've done like a small single cylinder test element and then built it up to a 1.6 now they're working towards the full hybrid system everything they're doing smacks of competence and just being very Walshbrug-Dirk technique. And that's exactly what you really want when you're looking to join an F1 team. Is something that just reeks of competence.
2: Also, maybe they get Carlos signs in there as well, because he was saying today, I think it was that he's a bit unsure of his future at the moment. He doesn't like that. So maybe he does get an extension with Ferrari, but if they can't turn things around in the next couple of years... Maybe you get Norris and Signs back there if they can't get either Mick or Vettel there because they obviously want a German driver as their Audi. But if they can't get that, maybe this is the next best thing. Norris and Sainz were good teammates together at McLaren. So maybe we get, we get Carlando back.
0: I don't think Carlando's off the table. When it comes to Vettel coming back, I think that's a big ask. Yeah. Or Nico Hockenberg to keep Ellie May happy and
2: he moves from Haas to, to Audi.
1: Well, neither Carlos Sainz or Nico Hulkenberg have a contract for next year, do they? So, I mean, you'd either have to. I wouldn't want to kick Joe uh, Guan out. But I guess then you lose the, Bottas. I don't know. But then one of them could always go to. Sort of Alpha Romeo slash Saba in the interim and work, I guess, behind the scenes with Audi and Sil and whatnot, and just sort of wait it out a bit, I guess, until 2026 and hope that they've then because they need to stay in the sport if they then want to go to Audi in 2026. So is that, I think that's a possibility.
0: Well, there
2: is an alternative strategy to this, which is the possibility of also waiting in the wings, but not with Audi and possibly with Tech, if they are introduced into Formula 1 for 2026 because they've just announced that they've made a bid to enter the F1 championship when the new regulations kick in. And at the same time, they've also sold off 25% of their group to Kazakh businessman Vladimir Kim. So if successful, this would mark the first time since 1982 when March ran a chassis in both F1 and F2, and they were more competitive in F2 than in F1 that year no points in the top fight with Raul Borsese, Jochen Mass, Rupert Keegan and Emilio de Vlotta, which I apologise for any mispronunciation that I'm going to do here. There's going to be some risque moments there. Minouin left too much, Chastity occupied the top two steps of the championship podium with Corrado Fabi, who'd go on to join us for an uncompetitive season. The other driver was Wunderkin, Johnny Cescotto? Cicotto. I'm going to go who transitioned from two wheels to four after a competitive career racing Yamaha motorcycles, including a class win in the 350cc class. So then came second of having F2 and also stepped into F1, scoring just a single point with the Theodore Racing outfit at the 1983 US West Grand Prix at Long Beach. But this is also just quite interesting generally from the Kazakh perspective in terms of how that plays into motorsport a bit more. Because as we will touch upon a little bit when we do our feeder series with you, Jesse, next week after Austria, they've got a MotoGP race this year on a five-year contract at Kazakhstan. They had a female F4 driver in the kind of feeder series Southeast Asian Championship, I think, for a few years. But she that was 2019. And then it's kind of she's gone to esports since then. So it's kind of interesting that Kazakhstan's kind of slowly creeping back in a bit. Techs had some... I think, Russian backing before, which obviously you can't really have too much of that now because it's a little bit of a geek area. Um, but it's interesting that the stands are maybe getting into that and if this is kind of an interesting loophole for, for that money to come in. But also, high-tech makes a lot of sense for an F1 team because they've got the F2 and the F3 presence. So maybe if you are if you are maybe your Bottas and you know that you're not going to maybe get something for 2026 or you've got a driver that can only get a two-year contract extension with whoever you're with, and you may be not past your prime, but you're not at the beginning of your career either. And you're looking to stay in F1, but the seats are going to be a bit tricky to get for 26. Maybe this is
0: the option there for an experienced driver. The option is surely there. It really depends whether or not they can get this together and make this move up. At the same time, we've seen Andretti struggling to get into it, who would be a big name and certainly someone viable financially for F1 as a business to join. And you can begin to wonder just how likely it is we'll see an 11th team or possibly even a 12th team come to the field and I'd like to see it happen and again it's been an interesting history since the last time we saw a team run but in both F1 and F2 but yeah the Vladimir Kim is and, an and interesting F3, one and F3
2: to be fair and I think F1 Academy there as well which you'd have a straight path you'd have a, doing a very straight
0: off. path yeah but I was trying to find sort of an overlap between sort of F1 and the last time it had a team that matched up with the feeder series mm. the first one I sort of stumbled across was um, F2 back in 82 when it was one of the last times it was not a spec series but yeah it's, it there's there's an interesting element to it Vladimir Kim is the interesting part of this because the way he's earned yeah. his money it's I believe it's chemicals and mining and it has strong the Russian usual ties kind of Usually <laughs> usual kind of stuff from that neck of the woods and yeah it's russian money russian associated businesses are still very much a persona non grata at this point in time so it's going to be interesting Maybe it's done on.
2: with the idea of andretti you're in because it's common sense and we should just stop being stupid about it and just say yes to you and high tech if you can distance yourself sufficiently
0: yeah if you can uh, prove you're not Holy by
2: 2026 we'll give you the stamp 2025-ish maybe Just yeah. you can start working on it with the provisor that you will get through just make sure you do the stuff
0: there'll be a provisor when it comes to the driver lineup though obviously Bottas is contracted until 2024 so he'll have a seat in 2024 Ocon, also contracted to 24. Gasly is on a multi-year deal. Alonso is on a multi-year deal at Aston Martin. Both Sainz and Leclerc are on multi-year contracts. Oh, no, until 24. Kevin Magnussen, multi-year contract. Norris, till 25. Oscar Piastri, multi-year. George Russell, multi-year. Verstappen, till 28. Sergio Perez, till 24. And Albon, on a multi-year. So this leaves open a seat next to Bottas at Alfa Romeo in 2024. Both the Alfa Tauri seats next year. The seat next to Alonso at Aston Martin, the seat next to Kevin Magnussen at Haas, the seat next to George Russell at Mercedes, and the seat next to Albon at Williams. So it's. But
2: also, you could throw a lot of that out the window as well if one driver gets an opportunity that they think that's worth the risk. Buy me out. I think. Yeah.
1: the The problem that teams have with another team coming in is Well, Christian Horner was saying that the, obviously the FIA give them a certain they have a certain pot of money that they then distribute out to the teams. If a sec, if an, if another team comes in, their pot obviously gets smaller in what in terms of what money they get. The prize
0: pot okay. is essentially diminished yeah. by a tenth or an eleventh, rather.
1: So that's what they have a problem with. If the pot got bigger when a new team came in they would have no problem really with a team coming in. It's Mm. all down to money.
0: Mm. The pot getting bigger is something that um, was floated by Andretti. They said, look, we'd be up for stumping up for the first three years or so an additional fee to not dilute the pot so much, which I think all the other teams are like, oh yeah, if you're going to do that, we're not too fussed about it. We'll move on to um, a sort of funnish fact from Ellie May.
1: Since the start of, the 20, of 2022, both hash drivers have had a front row start whilst Lewis Hamilton hasn't. Equally, neither hash driver was on the 2022 grid before the 2022 season started.
0: It's kind of an interesting one to look at that. So if you sort of wind the clock back to essentially pre-season testing in 2022, you've got neither Hülkenberg nor Magnussen in the field and Hamilton's just come off the back of a season where he's narrowly lost out to Max Verstappen. And then all of a sudden you fast forward to this point in time, Hamilton hasn't had a front row start since and both Haas drivers have, one of whom didn't know he'd be racing. Well, two of them really didn't know they'd be racing for the team until very late in the late in the day. It's It's interesting to see how that's developed over time. And equally, if you were... The sort of Twitterati that loves to sort of proclaim, oh, X driver is washed. This is a perfect statistic to use to sort of claim that Hamilton is past his prime. I think it'd be a rich one to try and sort of use, but it's an interesting statistic nonetheless. Correlation does not mean causation and so on and so, but it's definitely one to remember.
1: I guess it's better to use it as a fact that you should always go out and get a good lap time in the first time you go out in case... A chaotic event happens
0: a red flag rain anything yeah this is more an argument for a good banker lap than anything else really yeah. other than hamilton being past his prime yeah. which i think the performances over the past certainly in canada would suggest that he is by no means past his prime um if we're also running on the fact that alonso is driving like he's in his prime if hamilton's able to keep pace with that that's by no means a mean standard speaking of being in your prime though it's something that relates very much to this next point which is Daniel Ricciardo is a potential candidate for Alpha Tauri next season, which must be galling news if you're Aymu Iwasa or Liam Lawson. Uh, His other options are likely to be Williams or Haas, unlikely uh, picks as both are running towards the back of the field with limited chance of picking up. Alpha Tauri, meanwhile, could see a reincarnation next season as they will be allowed to share more parts with their sister cars at Red Bull. If Danny Rick can prove he's back to operating on the level he was when racing for Red Bull, then it's not to rule him out of moving up to the top team if he spends a year with Alpha Tauri. And like we've just previously alluded to, Alpha Tauri has both seats open for 2024. Sonoda's not confirmed, Iwas not confirmed, Lawson's not confirmed, and neither is DeVries, which really does sort of bring Danny Rick back into the scope just a little bit. He's got a tire test coming up at Silverstone with Red Bull. And if he's able to prove at that point in time that he's still got that drive, that precision, and that ability to do danny rick things in an f1 car then it could throw him back into the limelight for that spot it could put them in a
2: very interesting position for next year as well though and kind of a callback to previous years where if he does go into the alpha terry and has an absolutely stonking first half of the season do they then go oh we're going to stick you in the red Bull second half because if that's what you're doing in that and if their second driver whoever that is isn't Living up to the potential of the car, maybe then do they swap them around or do they just bin off whoever's in the Red Bull, bring up one of the juniors that can't go back into F2 anymore for whatever reason, or maybe they're bringing Liam Lawson because he's got nowhere to go. It kind of gets them in that Alex Albond, makes Cofilia, Max Verstappen weird kind of area that they had a few years ago where it's kind of merry go round. And yep. Or do you do that, or do you just stick him in the Red Bull straight away after this test? Because, like you say, it's a bit of a slap in the face if you're leaving Lawson or Iwasa and any of the other drivers looking to come up for 2025, because then you're potentially on the back burner because Lawson and Iwasa are still waiting to get into that car. And that's assuming that De Vries and Sonoda aren't still there next year. And if mm. Sonoda is in Red Bull, then does he only have half a season to prove himself in that car next year before Ricardo gets up there if he's quick enough? It kind of if they put them there, they give them they give themselves more of a potential headache than they need to.
0: This is the problem with too many having too many decent drivers floating around aiming for essentially one team. And you end up with this sort of situation of, yeah, we could put Danny Rick into the Alpha Towery. If Perez doesn't perform in 2024, do we swap them? Do we bump Perez down? Or do we simply keep Danny Rick on the sidelines? And if Perez isn't performing next year. Just simply put him into the reserve role and put Danny Rick back in. That way, we don't have to fettle with ruining two junior careers in the Alpha Towery seats of, for argument's sake, Sonoda and Lawson. It, it, it's got so many different ways of going, and every time they add another junior driver to that mix, it becomes more and more of a headache. All they need is Enzo Fittipaldi to have an absolute blinder for the rest of the season. All of a sudden, they've got a Red Bull junior driver that's at the top end of the F2 season. And then you're going great. It's like you're so, going to Super Formula. Yeah, you're, super, you're going to Super Formula. You're going to Super Formula. You're going to Super Formula. Everyone's going to Super Formula until we figure out what the hell is going on here. And meanwhile, it would, it would genuinely at,
2: be easier... If Max just decided, I'm bored, I'll come back in 26, and they just got rid of Perez and had two seats open at Red Bull, it's unlikely to happen, but it would be a lot
0: easier for them. (laughs) It would be, but then you've got to put an an inexperienced driver up into that Red Bull. No,
2: you just put Ricardo and Sonoda in there. Yeah, Ricardo and 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 bash. bash. yeah. And then you can get rid of anyone in AlphaTauri after 24, because you're Red Bull and you
0: give people one year before you kick them out. Although they didn't do that with Sonoda, which really suggests they want to stick around with this guy, and he's been racing this season, which is time. why they
2: put him to Red Bull. So
0: there you go. It's yeah, fine. but he'd only have a season to prove himself in that. No, race. I'm
2: saying the AlphaTauri drivers next year would only have a season uh, because of all the other juniors coming up because they can't all go to Super Formula all the time or DDN. Well, they can. Well, they, they can, can. but it, like, it's not why they're there.
0: At so what, what point does Formula? Red Bull have to simply start finding new and inventive racing series? I to think put they just make their own racing series at this point,
2: and they yeah. say if you win this, then we that we actually do have to give you a seat.
0: Yeah, like Red Bull makes you do a WEC year just to just to sort of find something to do with you. Like you're winning Le Mans 24 hours in a Red Bull-designed hypercar, Adrian Newey Engineering, and you're sort of going, can I drive the F1 car now? And they're going, no, you've got to go do Daytona next and Sebring and Monza. like, oh,
2: fine. Well, they just do their own kind of race of champions. They're all in equal machinery in these cross carts and they've just got to like, you're on the IndyCore stuff now. Go and figure it out. And so If you win this, then, okay, we'll definitely think about putting you in the
0: AvaTauri. Right? Or like Red Bull goes over to IndyCar and goes, well, I'm sure we can suss this out. You, you and you, get in the IndyCar. And Zach,
2: you don't have enough sponsors on that IndyCar. Do you want Red Bull as a sponsor? We'll take a driver in there.
0: <laughs> like, uh, There's got to be like a cap where Red Bull can no longer keep entering motorsport. They have a MotoGP team. They can't just simply... Teach Yuki to ride a bicycle yeah. and go do that until we find something to do with you. Like there's there's a limit. And I feel that possibly that limit is the Red Bull like um sky race thing they do with stunt planes. I don't feel comfortable with putting Yuki Sonoda in one of those. I think that's the line, but everything up to that point.
2: Don't don't put him in the plane with Ricardo, card on because you? you know
0: Ricardo's just gonna push him out. <laughs> I mean you, you yeah, didn't Lossard's find Lossard's that. Lossard's. Red Bull soapbox. Now racing. we're talking. <laughs> Winner gets the F1 seat. Yeah. Mind you, speaking of Yuki Sonoda and planes, there's that brilliant footage of him in a plane over the Austrian lakes. i from last year. That's, that's what I was thinking stuff. of. Yeah. He was terrified. Uh, I think Gasly was much happier about it either. Um, anyway, we'll move on from Wait, that. To
1: I, I just, can I say something? Thanks. I just want to say, I mean, it's famous last words, but I can't <laughs> see Danny Rick going to AlphaTauri only because he said in an interview a while back which we covered on this podcast that he didn't want just any seat he's certainly hungry for a seat next year and I think he's pretty certain he won but I don't think he it's going to be in a lower team I think he thinks he's better than that and he doesn't want to have to restart his career right down at the other end of the field that he wants to be in I think he's trying to get that Red Bull seat
2: no, I'd agree. And that's why I don't think Hassel Williams are a realistic option for the same reason that they weren't an option for this year. He's not there to just be trundling around, just making up the numbers. He wants to be fighting. And Max does want him in that second seat in a lot of ways. He said he's very open to that in his kind of Max Verstappen, coy, not so coy way of going about answering that question. So I think as much as Max is enjoying his dominance at the moment, he would appreciate a bit more of a challenge. And he's clearly not getting that from Perez. And ricardo at least for the first year of the contract will be grateful to be back in f1 so might play the team game a bit more to help max and he'll fight him but not so much to the detriment of the team like mercedes in 2016 for example but then have a year get back up to it and then Think twenty twenty five. Yeah, I can risk it a bit more because let's face it. By that point, you, you can see maybe what's going to happen. Team wise in twenty six, and if he wants to jump ship again, then maybe he can. And it's all leave completely. And he's he's got that fairy tale ending with Red Bull either way because he's going to win races when he gets into that Red Bull. So going into the Alpha Tower, you think if you have that for a full year next year to then go into Red Bull for twenty five, it's because again, what if the regulations then do have a massive impact and Red Bull have a Mercedes? kind of car from 22 and they're back there again. It's kind of underfitting of a
0: driver of Ricardo's calibre and he's thinking, oh no, not again. I think Alpha Tauri is an option for him. and I think he has considered it because it's, again, within that family and it's not something Red Bull have ever said they will not do again where they shuffle drivers between their two teams. They are sister teams. It's not one as a feeder of the other. They're sister teams. They're allowed to share parts. This is one of the key things that's going to with the new regulations for the next year is going to hugely elevate Alpha AlphaTauri up which is going to A. help Danny Richter yeah, but not past level, Red Bull not past Red Bull but enough for Danny Richter to prove his worth and his metal again and equally for that swap to not be such the extreme of 2019 wasn't it when we swapped No but it just depends who gasoline. they stick
2: in that second seat next to Max at the beginning of the year if it's Perez and they swap him out it's the least worst option, but if you're Yuki, well, kicking the balls, that's going to be.
0: Yeah, but Perez is signed for next year, so it will be Oh, because be contracts mean anything. Well, With Red Bull, it's hit and miss. It depends who you are. But I think at this point... Daniel Ricciardo, there we go, straight in. I think Red Bull are at this point honoured to a certain extent to give Perez the end of his contract, given everything he's done for them as that second driver. It's not being quite so apparent this season, but certainly the last two... It has been very valuable. And I think they owe him as much to at least let him start his 2024 F1 campaign in the Red Bull seat. That's where I'm going to leave that one.
1: I have a question. Yeah. You say that Apertari are now allowed to share more parts with Red Bull. Why is that?
0: I believe it's, there's a new wave of regulations that are coming in for next year that mean that there's going to be an increased um, scope for sharing parts between con- um, essentially engine suppliers and their um, sort of customer teams. So you're going to have greater span of things from not just engines and gearboxes. It's going to be things like aero components that work around them. And that's going to for certainly red bull and alpha towery help with regards to things like um, anyone who buys mercedes engine it really depends on how much your um supplier team wants to help you but for red bull it's very much in their scope to ensure that their sister team is doing pretty well because essentially that's where they're going to be picking their drivers from that's where the other half of their marketing money goes it'd be great if it saw some returns. And if that means telling them exactly how to install their engines, gearboxes, how to plumb their exhaust lines, how to get the most out of the back end of their car, then it's sort of half the headache already dealt with. And I believe that's where we're going to see this possible closing up, not necessarily Red Bull moving down, but Alpha Tower may be taking a step forward that could be easily overlooked.
1: Interesting. Thank you.
0: And that I believe is possibly why Danny Rick would be smart to, hang on yeah. to a concept of going into an alpha towerry seat that's likely to be an improved chassis it's a team that hasn't been anywhere close to p5 since i want to say 2017 in the overall standings um someone might want to fact check you on that one but if it's able to take a step or two forwards against teams where there's going to be continued changes, small changes, but it's only taken small changes to shuffle up the grid, as we've seen over the past few years. It didn't take much to absolutely blow that um, what remained of that racing point out of the water when they took away simply a triangle of floor towards the back wheels. All of a sudden, it became an absolute puff of a car. It only takes one small change to sort of shake up the system, not necessarily at the front, but certainly in the midfield. And if are able to use Red Bull bits, proven good things, that could be a valuable thing for Danny Rick to exploit, to work his way back up the field.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of having the same thought now, that if that Alpertari can be a bit more similar to that Red Bull, say it's a bit more like Gasly in 2021, where he could get a couple of podiums here and there, sort of Baku, things like that, you know, make the most out of, you know, sort of a crazy race or something like that, and you can get a couple of podiums.
0: Back to an Alpha Tower that was generally speaking nibbling around for P8, P9, P10 most races. Yeah, that's roughly what we're aiming at here. And I think that's what Red Bull would like to see happen with the team. If Danny Rick is able to exploit that, there's every chance that he'll go, actually, you know what long-term plan here might have to do a season in that Alpha Tower. But if it's not a bad car, and he is by no means a terrible driver, he is a very good driver who can certainly extract the most from even the worst cars, there is every chance that he'll be able to make some big steps forward and reignite a decent campaign towards 25 and 26. Hopefully that makes a bit more sense. Uh, We'll move on to some F1 Academy news
2: Yes, they've announced a Discover Your Drive, which is a new global initiative, basically, to increase the female talent pool in motorsport. The initiative aims to give girls and young women the opportunity to take part in entry-level programs and professional schemes. It's the first talent identification program, so F1 Academy, Discover Your Drive, Karting UK, bit of a mouthful, and it's going to be operated by Motorsport UK and Team Sport Karting. So, it's going to attempt to address the disparity between male and female participation in motorsport by acting as a gateway for young girls into the sport. The programme also aims to remove barriers that often inhibit girls from competing. And then in 2024, F1 Academy Discover Your Drive will run activations around the world prior to each race with workshops and activities aimed at inspiring local communities of 8 to 18 year old girls about a future in motorsport. So, it's kind of another step in the right direction because They are having a good focus on grassroots, which was being missed out on a little bit, just generally, full stop. And it's laying some good groundwork globally for future seasons of F1 Academy. And it's going to be interesting to see what the calendar then is for F1 Academy next year because of these workshops and these underground initiatives. Because if you're, let's say, I feel like it should be in Brazil, for example, because motorsport in South America is pretty difficult to get into as it is for a plethora of reasons. So if you could get some grassroots stuff going there, especially for women in most sport, that would be excellent. Whereas not that it's not needed in Europe, but I feel like you'll notice more I feel like there's more groundwork needs to be done in some of these other locations that you're not automatically thinking about. Um because you see it all the time with these drivers male or female coming over to Europe, going over to America to try and get their chance but it takes them so much time and energy and money to get there in the first place that if they had some better infrastructure back home maybe they could build up to that a bit more be able to have the tool more tools available to them so it's not as bad when they do make that jump up for whatever reason so it's a step in the right direction i'll be very interested to see what happens there and now if they could just broadcast the damn thing that would be the icing on the cake
0: there's definitely value in having a proper grassroots thing because again as much as you spot the occasional female talent coming through the first major hurdle is getting girls into go-karts that's where the whole thing starts mm-hmm. off with is like your FIK superkarts and all that they've got to have this motivation this spark this thing that tells them that they can go and do you've got to, be able to see their it. local karting track you've got to see it to be it and I think definitely encouraging this and Pointing out, uh, using Team Sport is a brilliant thing because they have hundreds of courses up and down the UK. There's literally sort of three on my doorstep. They're all pretty decent, well-run places, and it relatively affordable to go along to and at least spend an hour on a go-karting track, which means that anyone can get a fairly decent crack at actually having a go at it and going, oh, this is enjoyable, I would like to take this up. And crucially, by actively promoting this to a female audience, Gives them the chance to go, you know what? I will give it a shot and pushes it in the right direction. It is that very sort of early seedling for what a grass root sport needs. Ellie May,
1: um, just well, it's going on from that. Um I've got some kind of stats that's just within the UK, as you said, team sport are helping with the initiative. As their statistics show that around 45,000 young girls visit their track every year, but only 146 girls aged 8 to 12 progress into competition out of 2,275. As a percentage, that's only 6.5%, which I'm hoping that my maths is correct on that. I mean, with how the day is going, it's probably not. But anyway, it's You can say that it's part of the problem, SASH, reason is why we don't see as many female races, and it's because there is a smaller group starting out. So statistically, you're going to see more boys progress further. And if young girls can see the opportunities that are open to them, they're going to be more inclined to take them as long as there is the support and funding to get them there. The, I know that the pilot programme is currently taking place at just six of their venues across England, those being Eastleigh, Leicester, Manchester Traffic Park, Mitcham, Newcastle and Reading. And you essentially, they just need to turn up, have a go and they'll be scouted by one of their chief instructors. And the initi- if the initiative is successful, it will be rolled out to, I think, all venues. I think as well... It's a great initiative to be working alongside girls on track as well, because they often go to schools and promote women working in STEM. So we kind of needed that racing side of it as well. And as well, if I look even with STEM, if I look back on my school years, I had absolutely no idea about the options available to me. And in some sense, it's also breaking down class barriers as well, because I know I have the poshest voice in the world. I do come from a working class background. And as a working class gal, you don't really see those options exist to you because they aren't visible to your reality. And it wasn't until I was in sixth form that they even started promoting STEM. So both from like a class and a gender perspective, I still didn't really think it applied to me. And I always kind of had that inkling that I wanted to work in Formula One, but I had no idea what options were readily available to me. So I kind of ignored it until... 2020 until i realised ah, oh, perhaps journalism was an option and kind of look where i am now but it does prove the point that we need to promote women being in motorsport whether that's behind the wheel or behind the scenes because it's not readily available to the masses whether that's sort of seeing it or even sort of knowing about it whether you're you know sort of gender or class
0: there's definitely an element to it that just suggests that you do need to play that numbers game and that, that eventually has its merits that's something that essentially has been played with men in motorsport for so long going through that grassroots thing simply you have so many people starting out at karting however many thousands of young boys start it you're only getting a tiny percentage of them as of young women starting it and obviously if you're only applying that sort of six percent ratio to it you're going to get even fewer actually make it to the next step when you're doing applying six percent to many thousands of young boys going into it you're inevitably going to get a far higher number so it's it's great to see that this someone's actually sort of thought it through. They've looked at the data and gone, well, what do we actively need to do to try and sort of readdress that balance? And team Sport is a great one to use because they keep all the data of lap times and people that do it. You sort of, When you sign up, you sort of say, yeah, keep the data, and you appear on the scoreboards. And it means they can look at genuine data from either people who just go karting for fun, people that go karting for training, for getting into those sports, and compare real-time, young women that are looking to get into it or just having a bit of fun, but equally can offer them that incentive to sort of go, you're not too bad at this. Look at where you are against genuinely the rest of the UK. Oh, that's a huge sort of way of going, oh, it's a it's a big ego boost, which is hugely what's needed to incentivize and motivate sort of young women to go, oh, that's an opportunity for me. Excellent. And again, the sort of the affordability the broad scope of locations mean that it's something that does have like you said this ability to transcend some level of class barrier and make it very much something that's applicable to everyone if they're interested and it's it's great to see f1 academy despite at the moment being very very much a small thing that's barely even broadcast has already shown this idea of growth and that it wants to have this greater impact and it's taken the early work done by the now defunct W series and gone, great. It's proven that that sort of, if people can see it, they want to be it mentality. How do we take that and advance it to the next step? Where can we implement this? How can we make sure that when we implement this, we're putting it in the right places in front of the right people for it to actually have a positive benefit? And it shows that the people that are working behind the scenes on F1 Academy are arguably putting in a far more legwork than many people give them credit for just because it's not shown on the telly which is a fair enough criticism it'd be great to actually see the action it's good racing but there is a lot more going on behind the scenes than i think it's easy to give credit for and certainly the efforts that the discovery or drive campaign are putting together really suggest that this could be something important to keep an eye on through the rest of the season
2: one last thing I will just say on upon Academy there is that they were in Zandvoort at the weekend for their latest round and they kind of played a clever hand that we didn't, ne- you wouldn't necessarily realize unless you were following the motorsport, but DTM, I think, was on there at the same weekend or some kind of GT racing. GP. No, no, this was like endurance racing cars were there. Um, I'm pretty sure. And obviously you've got the crowd coming mainly for that and it was acting as a support series to it and it worked quite well because they had these autograph sessions with the f1 academy drivers and a couple of the teams were saying they kind of they always bring a stack of them because they know that people from the local area will come and watch the race because they'll know it's on and so they might might need a few but a couple of teams did genuinely run out because they weren't expecting quite such a high number of people to come and interact with everything there. So it's shown that these people, if you put it on as a support category for other stuff and don't just have it by itself and don't really tell anyone and close the doors off to it, then you will just naturally get fans there. So I thought that was quite a nice overlap thing to happen there and something to happen organically that they managed to get some fans that way. So even though they weren't broadcasting it live, it was a nice workaround. Ah, no,
0: MotoGP was at Assen, the other Dutch circuit.
2: That was why. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure if and involvement and Seeley Martin don't do motorbikes at the moment. so
0: No, I thought it was weird that they would have, essentially, F1 Academy as a sort of warm-up act to MotoGP. Yeah, yeah. MotoGP has in itself a three-feeder series. But, yeah, it's, it, it's proof that this sort of in-person visibility is also having some level of impact. Still gutted I didn't spend 20 quid to go and watch it in Spain when I could have <laughs> done, but, hey. We'll move on to just a very very short nib of news and that's heiki kovalainen has had a child that's it our wishes go out to him and his partner and the health of their child congratulations heiki i think that's that's pretty much it
1: why have we decided to promote heiki you know Kimi ryan's just had another ice cube should we congratulate him too (laughs)
0: We can do. I figured we need like a small sort of like (laughs) women's gossip section to the paper. I I figured that'd be a useful thing of having like a little sort of hello F one version somewhere tucked in here. And I know this was something I just spotted on Twitter earlier today.
2: Whilst we're just doing last bits of news. Then one thing that's relevant to Austria. (laughs) No, 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 no. Um, Not that we'll hear of. That is related to Austria is that after the not so great events happening in the crowd last year at the Austrian Grand Prix. I'm pretty sure GridClick click and I think it's females and support. I think there might be one other, I'll double check this, but they're setting up WhatsApp groups for any women that are attending the Grand Prix so they can all be in a group together and keep each other abreast of where's like a good place to go and kind of have a, a wide connection, no matter where you are on track and to kind of have each other's backs a bit, which it's annoying that that's necessary and that they have to do that and Formula One themselves aren't really doing anything on that as far as I'm aware and if they have, they've not really made much song and dance about it, but in case anyone listening is going to go to Austria and wanted this as an option, I'm sure one of the three of us can put that in the description somewhere and we'll stick it on social media and share that about it. But
1: Yeah, I mean if you go on, I think, and motorsports Instagram page, I think if you go on any of the Instagram pages, they've got links to it as well. So...
0: Yeah, there's definitely, we'll try and sort of put some links to all those services out there in the description of this video when it drops. Um, So we'll look ahead to the Austrian Grand Prix. Although, first of all, Ellie May's fun fact, kind of history lesson is back because she remembered to write it this week.
1: Yes. And I hope this goes well, seeing as I haven't been able to speak for this entire podcast, but we'll have a go. The first one is sort of a quiz question. Six Austrians have made their Grand Prix debut at their home race. Can you name three of them? I won't let you name, I mean, I guess you probably could get four of them. I don't know whether you'll get all six, so I'll say three.
0: Um, Marco, Lauda, Rint, Uh I'm trying to think about the Austrian F1 drivers. Uh, Schechter? Or was yeah. he South African, wasn't he? I think. Um, Just a bit off. <laughs> Uh, have I got those three correct though? you
1: have got those three correct
0: okay um, trying to any more Austrian who did you
2: say you said Louder. Lauda
0: um Marco Rint and Marco Mass Jochen Mass nope nope
1: Helmut Marco and Nicky Lauda actually debuted on the same year hmm 1971 it was the same year Helmut Marko won Le Mans in a 917 for Martini Racing
0: everyone forgets that Helmut Marko actually did racing like he's not (laughs) just some old guy that floats around (laughs) at at Red Bull
1: you can't look it up on the internet Jesse
0: I'm not looking it up on the internet yes you are yes I am (laughs) I'm I'm curious because I can't think of any more Austrian racing drivers that's more you'll
1: get you'll kick yourself maybe for one of them but the other two are
0: and I've got a list, but I don't know when they started in front of me. <laughs> um so just point, to the silly mate. Don't let him cheat out of misery.
1: Uh Dieter Quester in 1974. I don't know whether that's how you say his name or not. That was his Peter. only F1 F1 race that he competed in. Huh. And Binder in 1976 and Gerhard Berger in oh, 19... Gerhard
0: Berger, of course. Yeah. That's annoying. <laughs> Should have got burger, but oh well.
1: Yeah, oh, anyway, the track in its original form opened up in 1961. and Helmut Marko actually won the first support race that took place at Osterreich Ring. That's the best Austrian you'll probably get from me, as it was then called, in a Chevrolet Camaro. And whilst the main event was called the Austrian Grand Prix, it was actually for sports cars. And Kurt Ahrens and Joe Siffert won the race in a 917 Porsche. I would love to go on about a 917 Porsche, but Timo would glaze over and fall asleep. And this is a fun fact about the Austrian Grand Prix. So I will
2: carry on with Why you. would I glaze over and fall asleep
0: about that? Because you hate history. Don't deny
2: yeah. it. You I hate love it history. I just, just don't like it when you bits. drone on about it, Jesse. Yeah. You just make you make me fall asleep when you talk about history. Anyone, literally anyone else.
1: <laughs> anyway. The first Formula One Grand Prix came here a year later in 1970, but the sport's relationship with the track wasn't always smooth sailing. Around the time the track was built, the aim was to have one of the fastest tracks in Europe, one that could rival Hockenheim and Spa-Francorchamps, which meant that the track fell out of favour with the sport in the mid-1980s as it was considered to be dangerous and highly unsuitable, and the track was therefore abandoned. The track then made a resurgence in the 90s and the layout was changed to accommodate the more modern F1 Formula 1 car and it was renamed the A1 ring and hosted F1 for six years between 1997 and 2003 before being abandoned again and partially demolished. In 2005, Red Bull purchased the track to use it as a test circuit and training facility but it ended up being transformed into the circuit as we know it today and it was reintroduced to Formula 1 calendar in 2014 and we have raced there ever since under the new name Red Bull Ring. The highest number of poles a driver has got here is three and it's shared by four drivers, Nicky Lauda, Renny Arnoux. Fun fact about Renny Arnoux is that I saw him at Goodwood and I told Jesse this at the classic car, the London classic car show and he went, isn't he dead? So that we had to look up.
0: I just kind of assumed that René had died. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> anyway, the other two are now... i I'm sorry, by the way. <laughs> yeah.
0: If, if he listens to this.
1: <laughs> the other two are Nelson Piquet and, more recently, Valtteri Bottas. But it's actually Alain Prost and Max Verstappen who have the most wins here with three, unless you count the Styrian Grand Prix, which brings Max's total up to four. Because of COVID, F1 actually raced to Austria four times in the space of one year between 2020 and 2021. The 2020 season obviously started late and we had a double header here on July the 5th and July the 12th in 2020. And then, due to the Turkish Grand Prix being postponed in 2021, F1 held another double header here on June 27th and July 4th. So, if you want to count the sprints too, It means in some ways we've always had two races here since 2020, and this year will be no different.
2: Austrian Overload. I
0: can't remember if you can still rent a NASCAR to drive around. Two
2: very different thoughts, there.
0: You can. You can. It's still on their website. Excellent. Because you can go to the Red Bull Ring and do, um, like driving experiences you can have the NASCAR race taxi red bull ring uh, 449 euros and I don't know if you get to drive it or if you simply get passenger in it given the fact that it says taxi I assume you get passenger in
2: you it you get the American from the first
0: season of the grand tour to drive you around yeah but you can you can get loads of really interesting cars to drive around there like, you
1: can also take your own car
0: you can you, they do
2: regular track days don't, That was anyway don't, don't be silly Jesse's cars won't make it that far so. uh
1: uh, it might with a new exhaust.
0: Yeah, a £650 exhaust, or however much I'm just pissing spent on the damn thing. Uh, I $6, hope it 000- doesn't <laughs> £6,426 buys you a th- uh, Renault 3.5 seat um, around the uh, Red Bull Ring. Um, we're getting sidetracked. Anyway, we'll <laughs> move ahead to uh, the return of the F1 Sprint Weekend in Austria. We've had two sprints before at the Red Bull Ring. Do we... Do we like it in Austria? Do we think that it's going to work this year because we've got the new layout where we obviously have FP1 qualifying for the race and then the Saturday is just dedicated to the sprint? Do we think that's going to be beneficial here?
2: I I don't think think it's going to be... It's going to be one of the least worst ones.
0: Yeah, that's the best way of phrasing it, I think.
2: Brazil and Austria are the only two that have had it every year so far and it's not been awful... It's not been great, yeah. but it's not been awful.
1: It has it's worked. I
2: remember
1: yeah. last year it was mainly uh, Mick Schumacher, wasn't it? Depending yeah. Are out. Mm. And Ferrari dominating.
0: Yeah, Ferrari had an interestingly good weekend in Austria last year. Yeah, it's going to mark
2: point. a year since Charles Leclerc's last win. In for, so uh, that's also what? my fun fact to bring in there.
0: Also, also has been not far away from uh, Carlos Sainz's last win in F1 either. Just Ferraris generally.
1: Yeah, I remember being really depressed after the Austrian Grand Prix because Carlos's car set on fire.
2: Mm. Not Let's not say anything about that because you will jinx him anyway.
0: Yeah. We'll move on from premonitions with regards to the sprint and Ferrari's catching fire to what weather we can expect. And well, at the time of writing, Thursday is looking pretty decent for track walks and preemptive setups and for doing all the usual technical stuff that you get done on a Thursday, 24 degrees Celsius and a gentle breeze with a 1% chance of rain. Friday follows much the same pattern though a touch warmer, with 25 degrees Celsius but with a bit less cloud cover, it'll likely feel hotter and we could see warmer track surface temperatures. Tire degradation isn't the highest on the calendar but it's a bit above average taking into account the sprint and the juggled up running getting a good run in the only available practice session to suss out strategies will be key as will getting running orders for qualifying um, where a warm track is likely to rub it in quickly possibly giving us elevated levels of track evolution Saturday and the sprint is a lot cooler than the days prior and likely to be peppered with thunderstorms and showers. 60% chance of rain is uh, what the weather forecast is suggesting for Saturday, and 22 degrees Celsius are the order of the day. Sunday sees a return to better conditions, but with the chance of a green track once more, uh, 20 degrees Celsius and plenty of cloud cover will keep temperatures down and could open up some stretched strategies, ideal for teams who have a car that can be kind on its tyres. So, which on track battles should we look out for? Off the back of Canada, very little has been shaken up. Red Bull look to have the best package still, but Aston Martin's Alonso reckons they could get closer as the season draws on. The tighter track here will limit Red Bull's straight line dominance, but it's hardly like their lacking cornering ability either. If he's on his game, Stroll could close up to the top of the field where it seems his car ought to be, but we keep saying that every race and have yet to be proven so. The Mercedes have drawn themselves ahead of Ferrari, but if the Scuderia qualify well, They could have a fight on their hands for a podium position this weekend russell will be looking to make up for a calamitous canadian grand prix and retake his championship place over science alpine sit in a bit of a no-man's land still adrift of the fighting four ahead but leagues up from mclaren a quiet and tidy weekend spielberg will help cement their positions on the charts mclaren meanwhile have been on the podium here before with norris If they bring a car that's suited to the possibly changing conditions this weekend, we could see them put up a good challenge against the Enstone-based outfit. Woking are shipping the first round of upgrades to Austria in a big move that's set to take them three races to get them all implemented. Baku proved that they can get an upgraded car turned around and ready with just one practice session, so they'll be hoping for uninterrupted running in Spielberg to get the most out of what they'll bring. While Canada's result for Albon was strong, I'd argue it isn't enough to draw Grove into the full-time fight with Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo and Haas at the bottom of the pack. Splitting this bunch is a tighter and tighter task and really depends on qualifying to see who's come where Sunday, but equally who can execute the best strategy. The latter is what brings Williams into the fray and could give Alpha Romeo a chance to nab another point or two, which leads us nicely into our predictions. And pole position, we'll start with the odd one out, Timo.
2: Max Verstappen, because I'm intrigued as to why you two have gone Ferrari and if you've had concussions lately, but uh, Max Verstappen, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I mean, hey, I'd like him to not get pole because it means something interesting happened, but it's 2023, so Max.
0: Abby May, we have both gone for Charles Leclerc. I'm interested to hear your reasoning behind it.
1: Um, I think... Seeing what they could do last week in the race, their car was quick. I think if they kind of get it all together and get it working, they could be up there. I think they actually had one of the fastest cars. They just started, they just had a poor qualifying session.
2: They were helped a lot last week as well by Stroll being Stroll and George taking himself out though. And
0: equally decent strategy in the hands of a safety car so there was a lot of circumstances around it nonetheless I've which also... granted in a sprint weekend you might get a lot of
2: that so yeah
0: yeah.
1: but as well at the start of the race Carlos Sainz was able to overtake Sergio Perez and he looked faster
2: who couldn't last week though
0: yeah
1: but it is a really... record
0: he's in that record yeah but Perez is in it better. It's a it's a multi pronged thing, and that's the thing with Ferrari. You can never tell which one of them is going to which element to them having a good weekend is going to go wrong. Is it Perez is going to drive well? Is it they're going to forget how to do strategy? There's going to be any number of things. Nonetheless, I still reckon we could see a Charles Leclerc pole position. I think it's it's not unheard of. It's likely.
2: To be fair, if you do get a Charles Leclerc pole, my win is my winning prediction is still very much up for par given the conversion rate
0: yes yeah I mean a uh, Charles Leclerc poll pretty much at this point guarantees it, helped, a match it helps me a lot with. <laughs> it helps you and I along with our podium predictions Timo will let you kick off with your podium
2: again it's a reminder of the last timeout kind of top three because it's going to be Verstappen, Alonso and Hamilton that's, that's the rule I've done for myself this year it's the one I'm going to keep doing and I, I can't wait for the day where we get something more complicated than what we got at Monaco
0: <laughs> the time we get something more complicated than Monaco, and it's probably it 2024, again. and I've probably stopped using this rule by then, but you know. Yeah, you'll have picked some other strange rule. Um, I've gone a similar route with my podium Verstappen win, Alonso second, but Leclerc third. I reckon that while the Ferrari is going to be good, it's not going to be beating Max Verstappen and Fernando Alonso good. Ellie, may you reckon otherwise? I've
1: gone for a Charles Leclerc win. Carlos signed second, Max Verstappen third.
2: Why? Are you okay?
1: I think we've learned throughout this podcast, no. Fair. But they did have a really good race last year for some reason. So I was like, well, maybe... Because it's gone mag- so
2: well for them since then.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, maybe some of that magic will come over to this one. And Carlos will get redemption. and. Um, second like he was meant to be this was essentially meant to be the podium that we were meant to get last year and we didn't because the Ferrari blew up
2: you are like the channel five of digging to the bottom of the barrel for optimism for Ferrari aren't you you just you keep finding that you're not quite at the bottom yet and you can find something new to to get to be hopeful for yourself to set yourself up for what is inevitably disappointment
1: well I took this is so weird.
2: She's going to say what? some form of drug, Jesse. No. Drugs. I'm it just, explains everything.
1: Well, so, you know how I have a huge <laughs> curse if I buy merch? Yeah. <laughs> well, the day I went, to, just before I went to go walk up Glastonbury tour, my Ferrari cap came. Mm. My Carlos Sainz cap. And I brought it with me. because apparently Glastonbury Tour has ley lines going across it so you're closer to the energy and the vibration of the earth and all that I was
2: wrong Jesse I would have preferred drugs
1: (laughs) (laughs) so I brought it with me to give Carla Sainz good luck and that was the weekend of Le Mans Ferrari won where
2: he wasn't racing
1: yes but it was a Ferrari cap Ferrari won Le Mans so then, it kind of still had that same energy when it then sort of a week or two weeks later when it got to Canada, and they actually kind of had a good race. So maybe I just need to walk back up faster and talk. Bearing in mind the night that night, it gave me nightmares for the entire night. But if it means that Carlos Sainz and Charlotte Claire do really well, I am.
2: Ellie any anyway, Have you oh, Have you heard of QAnon I feel like you'd get along With a lot of their
0: logic No this isn't QAnon This is This is MLM <laughs> level Sort of nonsense Listener Team like and I can Both our heads in our hands <laughs> Like It uh, They uh I'm beginning to think
2: we've not been wild enough with our wild predictions, Jesse, before we get there. And we're going to have to say something just stupendous. Like they will just start driving the other way around the track halfway through.
0: I I don't know. Ellie Mae's gone for like druidic nonsense to try and predict. uh, uh, Look uh, what you've done
2: to her, Ferrari. Look what you've done. You're happy with (sighs) yourselves.
0: She'll wake up early on Sunday morning and as she's watching Martin Brundle's gridwalk, she'll be thrashing herself with sort of twigs of gauze and stuff and reciting incantations as orbs levitate around her in a bid to try and create some sort of tincture that will cure Ferrari's ills. I don't know what's going I on. I worry for the head. cats, to be honest, in that situation. Yeah. Oh, fastest lap. Timo, let's just move on. What was yours?
2: Carl lost signs, but only because it's the person I've chosen.
0: Nothing to do with any voodoo nonsense. <laughs> yeah, because it's like the one you'll stick with until they get it. Yes. <laughs> move on. I've gone for Max Verstappen because it just makes the most sense. Ellie Mae, what weird mushrooms did you induce before you decided, yeah, I'll just go for Max Verstappen?
1: Uh, I decided to go for Max Verstappen because I thought that all my other stuff was so wacky that I kind of want to have A point.
0: Fair enough. Um... Wild predictions. Um, okay, Timo, we'll start with you.
2: Double points for
0: Hass
2: because
1: now that is wacky. There's a
2: little bit of logic there with, them. yeah, yeah, they did well there last year, but they are also Hass, so I don't know if they can repeat it. But there is a sprint race, so maybe they could if they can get their qualifying. If if they, if Holcombberg can do what he did in Canada, maybe he can stay in there for a short amount of time. That still means that K okay, my guy has to do the same thing, or one of them has to capitalize in the race itself. It's wild enough, but just about plausible enough.
0: Okay, when well, we say double points, do are, are we incorporating across the, the weekend? Into that? So they like. One of them can get points in the sprint, and then the same one can get points again in the race, and that counts as double, like two occurrences of her scoring points. Would that be a driver in each race, both drivers across both races? It can be
2: Hulkenberg in the sprint and the Grand Prix, K-Mag in the sprint and the Grand Prix, Hulkenberg in the sprint, K-Mag in the Grand Prix, K-Mag in the sprint and Hulk in the Grand Prix. Any of that.
0: I or even the magical occurrence of both of them in the sprint and both of them in the Grand Prix. Well, I'm not going to be that ballsy with it. <laughs> it's <laughs> with it's a possibility that fits happen, but the rules it it we've does. laid out. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure we knew exactly the ground we were trending But like I just, I'm
2: just not going to put my money down on that specific thing
0: happening. I, I don't want the listener getting confused and emailing in and going, oh, well, actually, I think you're fine when all of a oh, sudden...
2: You, you think they've recovered from Ellie Mae stuff yet, so that they're even comprehending anything we're saying here?
0: <laughs> they might have had to like pause, walk away, and come back to it at this point. I'm assuming that they've gone away, they've had a glass of water, they've had a sit, a long stare... Ironically, got
2: some smelling salts to... To cleanse to themselves sort of out of it, bring
0: themselves back round. Perhaps at a biscuit, maybe a cup of tea, and just gone. Right, we'll continue with whatever they've got to say. Um, Ellie May will risk it and go for your wild prediction.
1: Alpine top five finish, and seeing as team is allowed to have that across, the, with, uh, include the sprint. I'm including a top five finish in either. Good luck. Great. So,
0: uh, yeah, I will follow in exactly the same rule of argument. Then I predict there is going to be a Williams points finish at some point they will finish in the points
2: all three of us could be right and we'd actually have a decent Grand Prix weekend yeah imagine as well Jesse if it both has in both races both Williams in both races and an Alpine in both races
0: it would really
2: make a mess between between now and the review I want you to go and work out the statistical probability
0: of that happening
1: (laughs) I've already done maths today and you can see what it's done to my hair. It's gone mad.
0: That's going to be something in the realm of like an 800 to 1, probably even higher. I remember the odds on the um, Gasly Science Stroll Podium being something like 430. Yes, one you weren't to you
2: one. Went well that day, were you?
0: Yeah, no, but I, I didn't make that bid, but that was. Like so no, you. Had put, just made the prediction. On, no, someone put money on it and won. That was the ironic thing. Someone in Sweden, I think it was, put like a couple of euro on. Oh, okay. No. Podium.
2: Yeah, I meant when you actually made a prediction this year, not when it actually happened.
0: Oh yeah, no, I made that prediction recently, and I, I don't know. I think I was just deprived of some basic Ellie may sent you something in the post, and you shouldn't have opened it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like having the same problems as me.
0: I opened a box of Ellie May's lay lines, and it got everywhere. I don't know. <laughs> um, <sounds> <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on completely from that and finish the podcast that's all we've got time for on this week's episode uh, join us again soon where we'll be reviewing the Austrian Grand Prix and the feeder series action from across the weekend as well as seeing if Ellie Mae's weird druidic nonsense has made any impact on the racing action car from the Styrian Hills. So make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got notifications turned on to not miss anything. Timo can be found. Well, why don't you tell us where you can be found? I'm so used to not being here for the previews. I'm just reading your stuff. There's only memory. one,
2: I think, in recent Two. memory. Two. My, yeah, but Miami doesn't count. I assume I was left. I don't know. Anyway, I can be found over on Is It Fast, the Rx podcast, Paddock's Roti Instagram, and on the curbs, where this Friday I'll have a good interview out with Rebecca Boussy because she's got an excellent announcement for what she's going to get up to in July because it's not busy enough for the motorsport as it is. She's added some more into it for us to enjoy.
0: Fantastic. Ellie May, where can you be found?
1: At Glastonbury Tour.
0: Harvesting ley lines and stay <laughs> away, yeah. people. Stay away. Safe distance. Call the police. She needs help. You'll see Me- her from a distance, levitating, legs crossed,
2: yep. hands held out, sort of humming. Yeah. If you've seen one division, you know what to expect.
0: <laughs> There'll be runes appearing in the sky and all sorts, and things are about to go wrong.
1: Last um, time I went up there, there was a person with drums. So, uh, is it and should- only
2: Ellie May could see her. <laughs> it was quite. It
1: was quite soothing, really. And you could also see Glastonbury Festival in the distance. It's all very
2: nice.
0: Jesse, where can the people find you? <laughs> uh, I can be found across social media on Twitter and Instagram as at Jesse on Cars. I have a YouTube channel under the same name, which I keep promising I'll do something with. I filmed three episodes of like a new series with the MG. Haven't actually edited anything together with that yet, so maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. Um, but you can always find out what I'm up to with classic cars in Classic Car Weekly um buy it it's a good paper it's enjoyable i like making it that's that's that okay there's a weird pause we'll finish the podcast thank you very much for listening we'll be back with a review of the austrian grand prix